Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 3, Fido. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm a good boy. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. And if you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media, all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Horror is the diverse genre and all are welcome. And before we get into the movie, we're going to go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Welcome to the corner. So today, where we're doing Fido, it had me have pets on the mind. So I was curious if you guys would each tell us a little bit about your favorite pet-related experience or memory. Oh, this was right on the money this week. Um, I had the unfortunate experience of laying to rest one of my dear fur babies recently, um, and she was quite a spitfire. One of my very favorite memories of her, she is a feline, um, she is a tailless, multiple-toed calico-slash-tortoise cat. Uh, her name was Anastasia, but she answered to Nibs, Nibby, get down, no, and don't touch that. And she loved Chinese food. <laughs> she was, I called her my cat dog because she really did. She was just always up in my face. She was always in my business. She was truly my ride or die. And she really loved Chinese food. Any kind of Chinese takeout, she would just go wild over. When I first got her, um, she was probably just just barely old enough to be taken away from her mom. So she was weaned. Um, but she w had quite an appetite for all all human food. And I introduced her to Chinese takeout one day, and she decided that she was going to snag an entire roasted pork chop bone off of my plate. And I let her do it because she was like three ounces total and absolutely adorable. But she got her tooth stuck into the bone and like into the marrow of the bone. And I have this very vivid memory of this teeny tiny kitten just like winging a bone the size of her face, like around and around trying to get it off of her canine tooth. <laughs> That's one of my very favorite memories of that little shit. And may she rest in peace. I'm sure she's raising hell wherever she is. I didn't deserve she her. She was, the, she was the absolute best cat. I love her dearly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mine, I had a really hard time deciding on this. I know I was the one who asked the question, but like I have so many, I've, I've always had pets, grown up with pets my whole life, and it's so many good memories, so many little memories, so many big memories. I decided on one to share, uh, since this is a horror podcast, I decided to share one about a cat that I had whose name was Cooper. And he was a indoor outdoor cat, uh, spent a lot of time outside because he liked being a little psychopath. Cause he, he was one of the, one of the most murder, murderous, devious cats that I knew. And he was also the sweetest cat, of course, but he killed snakes, killed birds, killed everything and had no shame about it. And so he had a like a bed in the garage that he would come and bring his kills to. So like we'd find birds in there, sometimes alive, sometimes dead, and we'd find snakes and other things. But one time we came back or I got home and 
he was sitting in his bed with a bird under his paws, but he also had a bird sitting about six or eight inches away from him that he had like immobilized and was basically making this other bird watch him kill the other bird. <laughs> so he was just this crazy, crazy cat, but he was also just the sweetest cat who would come and lay on my chest while I was sleeping and snuggle up to us. And he, he was one who adopted us. He showed up at our house and just decided, Oh, you're my family. And yeah. And that was it. He was, he was a good kitty, a psychopath, but a good kitty. The very best kind. <laughs> I don't really have, uh, cause I've never actually had a pet of my own, uh, due to <laughs> extenuating <laughs> circumstances. Uh, my father didn't like animals, didn't ever want one. And my ex-wife that I used to live with all the time, you know, she didn't ever want animals either. So I've never actually had a pet. But I guess you could say, I mean, it's kind of, it is kind of a pet. There's people that have had, that call it a pet. Uh, I We had like some goldfish for a little while and like a goldfish tank. My son was like three years old, I think, at the time when we had this goldfish tank. And so... He managed to get the goldfish, like pull, picked the goldfish out of the of the tank when I guess his mom wasn't watching, and he threw them out of his window upstairs. <laughs> oh and my god! There were like oh three of them, and so I was like, "What the hell happened to the goldfish?" And none of us could figure out what happened to the goldfish. And then the one day I was looking out of his window and saw three dead goldfish on the like upper roof thing awning outside of his window. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's what happened to the goldfish. That's so terrible. That, that's not like a good story <laughs> or a happy story. But it is I a story. Because I can't stop laughing, but it's terrible. <laughs> yep. So that's that's my only experience with pets. Talk to you later. <laughs> okay Matt, we, we live in the same state come pet my cats and my dog they are very friendly i will <laughs> you can you can share the pet experience well i've adopted mrs cats so i'm their oh. long distance pet dad you're a stepdad congratulations i'm gonna try my best to get through this without interrupting myself so i don't have a long you know funny story like that but i guess i'll just give a shout out to my my kitties. Um, my favorite pet experience has probably been adopting my two cats, Banjo and Kazooie. <laughs> Banjo <laughs> is very quiet and reserved, and Kazooie's a maniac, so they complement each other, and they're like my babies. And now Matt's stepbabies. Aww. Yes. Yay. We should share. Our, we should share pet pics on the Instagram this week. Absolutely. Yeah. I am 100% down for that. Ollie's definitely already been up there. She's an Instagram sensation. We should all send our pictures to you and you can put it in a big post. Yes. Not Matt's nice. dead goldfish, though. <laughs> no, not, not so much dead goldfish. Uh, I was about to hit send. Okay, yeah, I will. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> you memorialized it? Oh my god. You're my people.
No, he put them in like a, a tin foil wrap and floated them out onto the lake and then shot them with a fiery arrow. It's like a I love Viking it. Viking funeral. style. I respect yeah. that. It's impressive. Hashtag Viking goldfish funeral. <laughs> that, that was all a lie. I was lying about that. Sorry, guys. So uh, for mine, I at one point had two dogs. Originally, I had a pug named Iggy, and uh, he is adorable, but also not particularly bright. And so I had to leave him at home alone in the apartment. And so what I would do is there was a long hallway there. So I would close all the doors and I would just put a gate that was kind of butted up against two doors on either side of the hall. And he could have, you know, moved it or pulled it away, but he couldn't figure it out. So he'd stay in there. And I did that because, you know, I didn't know if I could trust him to not rip up furniture and stuff like that and get into things. So he'd be in there, I'd come let him out and, uh, you know, at lunchtime and then come back. So I got the second dog, whose name is Ollie, who is a half pug, half chihuahua. And so I figured, you know, it would be okay, we'd put her in there with Iggy and, you know, they'd both be all right. So I put her in there and then in the, uh, it, I came home for lunch to check on him. And she had managed to, you know, figure out and pull the gate open and was just sitting on the couch. Iggy was, of course, still stuck in the hallway, hadn't figured out how he could get out, but she was just sitting on the, <laughs> sitting on the couch like, what up? So the next thing I did was I put her, you know, before I left, I put her back in the hallway and I wedged a kennel that we had against the gate so that she couldn't move it. So then I got home at the end of the day and she'd figured out that she still had enough leverage to pull it aside so that it would move. So again, I came back after four hours and she greeted me by sitting on the couch again, like, what up? So the next morning I wedged a chair in against the gate too, figuring, okay, there's the chair and there's the kennel and the gates there. This thing is not moving. And so I wedged that all there and I was getting ready to leave, and she jumped on top of the kennel, jumped up over the gate onto the chair and down, and then was on the couch again. <laughs> so after that, I was kind of like, well, she didn't wreck up the place while I was gone, so I let them both out. And again, every time she escaped, Iggy was still just 100% stuck in the hallway because he couldn't figure out how to get out. <laughs> so I don't know. It's endearing and adorable on both of their parts. <laughs> Escape was not his forte. No, not really. Well, nice. Those are all great pet things. Um, I guess I didn't call out my current pets. I have two dogs and two cats. Bodie and Luna are my dogs. <laughs> and maybe you can hear them barking in the background. And they heard their shout out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have Two cats, we have Ripley and Elphaba, or Elfie for short. Okay, I love that you named the cat Ripley. Like, you get gold stars from me. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Were there any other pet shout-outs that anybody wanted to do? Sure, I'll go down the list of my weird little fur clan. Um, so 
I have several passed on pets. The eldest was Miranda. She was a cat. And then there was Mito, also a cat, recently departed Anastasia. Um, and those remaining on this plane include uh, Phineas, also a cat, and Thomas, a cat, and a really spoiled uh, half Jack Russell, half Chihuahua named Javier. Aw. He is very cute. Oh, and he knows it. You know, there be a lot of dogs that are half Chihuahua. Chihuahuas be getting it on. Just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that or they're very attractive to other dog breeds. One of the two. All of the above. Also, I have just brought my cat onto my lap, and she has cured my hiccups, so I'm good to go. <laughs> nice. Yay! Good, good. <laughs> Therapy animal. Mazel tov. <laughs> well, cool. That was a great corner. All right. Well, then uh, we will move along. We've got a couple announcements before we get into the movie, too, which is just that this is... So this is the end of week three of the first annual Is It Horror Movie Marathon. This was Matt's Week of the Living Dead, so we're ending it by talking about a zombie movie, Fido, which we'll get into in just a sec. But before we do that, we do have a sponsor for this episode, and that sponsor is an independent film that is in production that's called The Trip, a psychedelic horror film, and it's being produced by Collective Imagination Productions. They describe themselves as, We are an independent film collective formed by a group of filmmakers with the sole focus of creating meaningful films and putting art out into the world. Our members span the United States, hailing from places like Los Angeles, New York, Pittsburgh, and beyond. The trip is the psychedelic horror, deliverance meets Amityville horror, with just a dash of hallucinogenic drugs. Four childhood friends take a weekend trip to a rural farmhouse in Pennsylvania, expecting a relaxing weekend of excess. The group soon comes to find out that the house has something else planned. Uh, the story takes place and will be filmed in a small town just an hour outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The original script sat dormant on a shelf for several years, but now the tale is finally being told. Though names have been changed to protect those involved and creative liberties have been taken, much of this story is based in fact. It is an executive produced and written by Dean Jacobs and produced by Jared Phillips. And the director of photography is, and I am so sorry, I hope I don't butcher this name terribly, Vasilios Finaralakis. I'm very sorry. I'm sure I got that wrong. But they've got an excellent cast. Uh, they've got a few mainstays that you might know from horror, such as Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in the first eight installments of Hellraiser. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, they've got Laurie Cardile, who is in The Day of the Dead as Sarah. And then you've got John Amplis, who has been in both Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. But uh, for those who prefer George Romero's film Martin of his work, that's probably his biggest title role. Uh, you also have, let's see, Hannah Fearman, who's in VHS. If the phrase, I like you, still makes you uncomfortable and makes you worry that a succubus is going to try and perform acts on you, then you know who she is. And... Uh, then you've also got, I wasn't familiar as much with some of the rest of the cast, but uh, you've got Evan Sloan, Calvin Dittmore, Luke Edwards, Dean Jacobs. They're Pennsylvania folks, which of course endeared them to me, Romero fans, which also endeared them to me. So yeah, check it out. It's an amazing movie and we're excited to have them as a sponsor. And thanks very much. And then we'll, we'll move on to the film that we're covering today. Woohoo. 
Woot. Can I just say that I'm really stoked that more people are making horror based in Pennsylvania because this is a fucking terrifying place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, me and Matt lived just a couple blocks from a haunted house. So there's that, or at least purportedly haunted. Yeah, there's a lot of like moldy basements and like overgrown ruins in Pennsylvania, and that's pretty scary. So there's also (laughs) a lot of abandoned mine shafts. And lots of murders. There are so many murders. Yeah. And really yeah. high humidity. That's oh, pretty yeah, that's scary. the worst. My hair hates it. Yeah. And now Matt gets to introduce the movie. So today's movie, I get to introduce it because it's my Week of the Living Dead, of course. Uh, today's movie is Fido, 2006. It was directed and written by Andrew Curry who also worked on Mile Zero, Barricade, and The Steps. It was written also by Robert Chomiak, who worked also on Mobile Suit Gundam Seed and Pregoland, and um, also Dennis Heaton, who worked on several TV shows, including The Order, Motive, Call Me Fritz, and My Pal Satan. Uh, The back of the box description for Fido is as follows. Welcome to Willard, a small town lost in the idyllic world of the 50s, where the sun shines every day, everybody knows their neighbor, and rotting zombies carry the mail. Thanks to ZomCon, a company that patents a collar to domesticate zombies, a young boy is able to find friendship in his pet zombie, Fido. But when Fido's collar goes on the fritz, the neighbors start paying the ultimate price. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know what that price is. It's probably inflated, though. Well, big spoiler warning. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out before listening, unless you don't care about spoilers, in which case, you know, you do you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not a cop. But I will tell you about the intent of the director, at least so far as we're aware. So uh, there was an interview with Andrew Curie on the first showing on firstshowing.net. Um, the interviewer, Alex... Billingston asked, would you ever go back to the horror genre as part of the interview about Fido? And Andrew's answer was, oh yeah, I think so. I love horror. I don't know how you feel, but my feeling is Fido's not really a horror film, but it plays with the genre of horror more than actually going there. And then the other thing I guess I'll throw onto that too is that the director's commentary for the film uh, they talk a lot about technical aspects and things like that and, you know, the romance within the story and father figures and things like that, but almost never talk about horror or at least talk about downplaying any sort of the violent aspects. So, again, that's just another indicator that that wasn't necessarily what they were thinking about when making the film. As far as reception goes, meta tag wise, uh, there's pretty clear consensus. You've got Nine different sites calling it comedy, nine different sites calling it horror, five calling it drama, a couple calling it romance, a couple calling it sci-fi, and one calling it fantasy, and then one bringing up that it's zombies as a genre. And then as far as Google search trends go, this one's inconsistent. We've talked before about how there's a lot of horror movies that have a bump in searches during October, but it was just kind of all over the place for this one, so there really wasn't any kind of perceivable pattern, so apparently people aren't thinking about this movie at any particular time of the year. So that was inconclusive. How does everyone weigh in? Fido, is it horror? 
I am willing to call this horror, but I'm not going to lie. I was heavily influenced by Carrie Ann Moss's wardrobe. Just saying. (laughs) Weren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) I decided that I was not going to call this one horror, but I mean, it plays with a lot of things and not all of them just about the zombie stuff, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Oh my God, Pro Clutch, are we going to throw down? I'm excited. <laughs> I am really on the fence about this. I'm not sure that I have an answer just yet, but I think it's going to be a great discussion because I think this falls under the does some sort of supernatural entity automatically make this horror? So I'm excited to discuss that. I'm going to go not horror. This one was a tough one for me, and I go back and forth. I might change my mind by the end of the episode, but I am for now going to say not horror. What? I'm on an island here? Ugh. <laughs> Hasta la vista, baby. Rude. <laughs> I will defend it to the death. Or the undeath, whatever. Speaking of Hasta la vista, I did get very heavy Terminator 2 vibes from this movie. Terminator <laughs> 2 vibes. Interesting. I don't know yeah, if I Yeah, like man or er, boy know. and his pet. <laughs> well, actually, oh, yeah, 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 I, see yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can see that. All right, yeah. Well, I guess I figured we would talk first about the zombie in the room. And uh, we've talked about two zombie films in the past. We've talked about Shaun of the Dead and we talked about Zombieland. For everybody, how did you feel like the zombies in this film differed from those? I think I saw more of a comparison, probably more to Shaun of the Dead, which is what made me say that this was horror. They were able to humanize zombies in Shaun of the Dead in the same way that they were able to do in this movie. And that kind of sealed the deal for me, so to speak. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, The zombies in Zombieland were kind of a whole different thing, but there was a comparison for sure. And I don't know, they were more classically Romero type zombies. Yeah, I, I agree. Also, the, the zombies in Fido are definitely your Romero-style zombies. And even delving further into being Romero-style zombies, they seem to learn and progress and have feelings and have some sort of memories of their past lives, which is debated in the Romero community whether that's a good or a bad thing, but it's definitely a thing. Uh, so yeah, I would say even a little bit beyond Shaun of the Dead and the humanization of the zombie, but definitely not anything like Zombieland where most of the zombies were just cannon fodder or something to be scared of for the scene or to create drama. Yeah, these were kind of Dawn of the Dead 3 zombies, am I correct? Uh, Dawn of the the Dead 3? (laughs) I'm thinking of the wrong movie again, aren't I? I'm I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, like oh, Day of the Dead. That. Is Day of the Dead like what you mean? Day of the like Dead, Bob's? Dawn of the Dead? I don't know. It's the one where they're in the mall and the zombie is more sentient and learns and becomes more human. So there is in Day of the Dead, which is the, the sequel to Dawn of the Dead, and there's a couple different remakes of that. And we'll, the, be- the less said about the remakes, the better. But uh, the Romero classic Day of the Dead features Bub, who he ends up 
learning or and it's maybe perhaps a little bit unclear learning at least or having some memories of being human and uh i would say it's like every zombie in this movie is maybe somewhere closer to bub's level of retained humanity than you get with so in that way they're they're more evolved i think than most of what you see in uh Romero's stuff I mean there's some of that in Land of the Dead but it's not to the level that you are with Bub developing him for a whole character as you know throughout Day of the Dead I would agree with Brianna Brianna's comparison to the zombies being like the zombies in Shaun of the Dead because I feel like maybe it's just the comedy thing that ties these two movies together but I feel like in both movies, they were kind of not taken as seriously as they should have been for being what they are. I mean, they're flesh-eating creatures, right? Or brain-eating creatures. But in both of the movies, they were just kind of treated like pests. Like, oh darn, Fido got out and killed the neighbor. Hate when that happens. Oh shoot. So I think they were treated uh, like a little bit, with a little bit more just like, I don't know, nonchalance, I guess. I, I kind of like what Brianna was saying, though, about, I don't know if you were trying to compare it to Bubs and Day of the Dead specifically, but there's definitely some major comparisons between Bubs and Fido. Or is it Bub or Bubs? I, don't, I always say it wrong. Bub. But yeah, there's definitely a big comparison between Bub and Fido and actually very similar kind of plot lines if you get right down to it. So yeah, that's... Yeah, definitely more Romero zombies, so. By removing the hunger element of the zombies, then it kind of changes a bit of who they are and what they are. I guess as far as whether or not the film is horror, how did presenting the zombies in that way, removing the hunger for the most part from the zombies, how did that change the way that you looked at the film and its classification? Uh, removing the flesh-eating goodness really, I don't know, it got me in the feels. It made me empathize far more with the zombie as, you poor thing, now you are just, you know, a servant to living human beings kind of deal. I related more to them, but I really like it better when they chew people's faces off, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think it had a had an effect for me, for sure. Sort of literally took their teeth away. Not Not exactly literally, but... I mean, they're still dangerous and stuff can go wrong, but that's part of the reason I think I ended up not calling it horror. And this probably ties into some other stuff we'll talk about, but kind of it shifted the focus from the zombie as far as whether it's horror or not, horror or not, uh, to like more about what the people are doing and what they're like. And like the, there's like this undertone of the movie about like, oh, you know, the establishment doesn't like what you're doing or wants your house, then you might disappear and somebody will pop up in your house and nobody, and there'll just be rumors about where you ended up. So that that side of things felt more horror to me than the zombies themselves. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to, to that kind of original question about if removing the hunger changes my perception of them i think it's i think if you had a little bit of a different director a little bit of a different tone it would become much more of a tragic story focused on like 
the past lives and how these zombies are kind of like in a state of purgatory or slavery uh and that's kind of forever and they're at the will of their owners and the the movie does kind of address that a little bit with how the dad like gives electric shocks to Fido but I think that kind of aspect wasn't there especially because it was like so comedic in many scenes so yeah there's a little bit of tragedy if you stop to think about it uh, but I don't think it's focused on very much in the movie I think one of the aspects of the movie, too, with the way that zombies are presented in here, being able to take the hunger away from them and then just have them exist and having them emote and having some degree of intelligence and being able to learn, it changes it because, as as already mentioned, is the idea of them as being portrayed as slaves. Because I was watching this this time around and thinking that there's, it's almost an allegory for the civil rights movement because you've got this class of people that are looking at this other class of people and saying that they're less than that they're people that we can, you know, we can own them and we can force them to do whatever we want. And they're not good enough for anything better. And there's even, you know, brought up the odd, the idea of like interracial relationships, having zombies and humans have relationships. And I thought to myself, Oh, maybe that's intentional. But then the weird thing about it to me, and I don't, I don't want to like, I don't know. It's weird. I think if you look at it as a civil rights metaphor, then you have to suddenly start looking at the film itself and then say, there is not a single person of color anywhere in that film. And believe me, after I had this realization, I looked. Yeah, it was an exceptionally white film. And I'm not saying that makes it a bad film, but it makes me think that I don't think they really even considered the civil rights allegory because otherwise they would have looked at the people in the room and said, we need to get some color in here. This isn't yeah. going to make sense otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, they they missed a major opportunity for diversity. And again, this was 2006 and no better do better. Yeah. Even with the even was like the time period that you're supposed to, that this is supposed to be like playing in, or at least the time period that they're playing off of is just a perfect allegory. So yeah, I agree. And then the other thing that I thought about it too, is in some ways it's, it is a little bit more of a functional allegory without as problematic a side of it for addiction, which is the idea of like, if you could, if you could put on, a collar or just an item or take something and it would enable you to get rid of your worst proclivity, whatever vice you have, whatever thing you're trying to stop doing and then just be what you actually are. And just looking at the zombies and saying like, okay, we take away this one aspect and then they're all kind of have this element of pet like innocence, which of course I believe is intended in this instance. Um, So it's interesting seeing that side of it which of course got me thinking about what I'm, I guess my next question, which is the idea of, did you really even see zombies as the villain in this film? Usually they are the villains of any film they're in, but are they in this one? Absolutely not. Mr. Thermopolis or whatever his name is, is just living proof that even in 2006, rich white dude's going to do fucked up shit. (laughs) I definitely felt like the, the villain and the more horror aspects of the movie all come from the humans. Yeah, I think um, Timmy's mom definitely said it best when she was talking about how 
the zombies kill because it's their nature and it's not really their fault. Sort of like we've talked about monsters in the past on the podcast. Killing, or animals I should say, killing because they are animals and it is their natural instinct and not because they have an evil intention. And you are rooting for Fido the whole time, so definitely I don't think that zombies are the villain. Even when they're acting violently, there's always the understanding that they're just like, they're zombies! (laughs) They can't help it! Yeah, I would say that this particular example doesn't necessarily shift it away from horror because basically every zombie movie ever made that I can think of, or maybe like 90% of them, the human antagonists are more dangerous or the bigger threat than the zombies themselves. So uh, I don't think that that necessarily makes it not horror, having it being shifted to, to humans. I think what makes it also not horror, in my opinion, is because... So I I just said that, you know, zombies can't help it. They are what they are. They want to eat brains and whatever. That's true about, like, every other zombie movie as well. So why are those horror and this one's not? Well, I think that's because this movie has a zombie protagonist or deuteragonist or main character in some way <laughs> that you're rooting for. So... I think that does change the movie. Yeah, the humanization of the zombie and you connecting to him personally and feeling bad for him definitely would be one of the aspects that I think would move it away from horror if it is not horror indeed. Hold up. Are we making a maybe not hard and fast rule? Are we saying that a protagonist cannot be a supernatural entity? No, I'm saying that they can, but not in a horror movie. Wait, I don't know. I don't. I just, I just have. That's the seen thing, because like I'm, I'm getting torn on this. Like as I'm listening to to all of your your takes on this, I'm like, hmm, maybe is this horror because I voted differently on other movies? But I'm a big rule person, um, and I want to know if like that's a hard and fast rule. Do we think that that's something we can apply? That protagonists they have to be supernatural for it to be horror or that if the protagonist is supernatural, then it's not horror. Yes. Because I think that, um, that traverses into like superhero movies. Like you can have a supernatural protagonist, but if you're, I don't know if a zombie to me is a horror supernatural being period, full stop. So if a horror supernatural being is a protagonist rather than an antagonist in a story, does that automatically make the story not horror because we are empathizing with the horror element? I don't think that that's the case because all we have to do, at least in my opinion, is look right next door to the movie that we've referenced most with talking about this, which is Day of the Dead, because you have Bub as a supernatural protagonist within that film. Are there other zombies that are just full-on mindless flesh-eating? Yes, but at least one of them is someone that is developed with, you know, human emotion, someone you can relate to, someone that you can root for. So he is, at least on his own, definitely a supernatural protagonist, and I don't think you could find many people that would say that Day of the Dead wasn't a horror. I'm going to definitely agree with that statement. To further that, I would 
make a comparison to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the couple iterations that we've watched, how you can definitely relate to Leatherface and feel bad and empathize for him, but he can also be scary uh, and still be horror. So that's like kind of another angle to look at it from too. But the, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. And Leatherface isn't supernatural. He's just a guy, but he's... I think he counts as supernatural. Like, he's survived some pretty, you know, hardcore possible killings. Yeah, it definitely is debatable. Yeah. All I was going to say is, outside of the supernatural side of it, I think the thing that we're mostly talking about is, can you sympathize with basically whatever is the threat within the horror environment, right? Obviously, humans are, some of them in Fido or portrayed as terrible people but there's sorry i'm kind of losing my thought anyway i'm gonna re-rail here instead of derail but just the point that i'm trying to make is i think that at the heart of the argument of whether or not it's supernatural or not is more can you empathize with something and if you can empathize with something that might be the thing that would kill you does that keep it from being horror and I don't think that that's the case. You can empathize with characters and understand them. And it makes sense to you why they're doing those things. And you can maybe even get on board with some of it. But I don't think humanizing the threat automatically makes something not horror. I think that it's working in favor of not being horror for this film. But I don't think that that's a hard, fast rule. Because I think you can always find examples that that's not going to work. I think the Leatherface comparison's yeah. a good one, right? You can you can empathize with some of him, especially in the first movie, right? He's just protecting his house as far as he's concerned. People keep coming in here. He's been abused. He's been taught this is the way to save his house, so he's doing it. He's not really a bad guy in that movie, as weird as that is to say, but it is still a horror movie, and he will still kill you just as dead if he comes across you. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. I'm going to take it a step further and say that for me personally, if I am able to empathize with a quote-unquote supernatural horror antagonist, protagonist, that's scarier for me, is being able to be like, oh, I kind of get why he cut their face off. Like, that's kind of creepy. That that jolts me a little bit, personally. But I don't think that applies to this movie, is I guess what my original statement was. Hey, I was just waiting for Fido to eat her husband. I'm not going to lie. I really was. I was rooting for it. (laughs) He has Carrie Ann Moss and a pair of three-inch heels and a halter dress, and he's ignoring her? Excuse me, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I want to take this a little bit. I was going to maybe discuss this further, but let's talk about the aspect of tension because that's something we've discussed at least with with various horror movies, and that is a facet of it. So does it take away from the tension that you might feel for any character possibly dying when zombies are so humanized? Does that undercut the potential death of a character if you know that they can be in some way brought back and that they can still retain some of themselves? I think the an interesting part of this movie is like there's not a lot of tension around the zombies, at least there wasn't for me Mm -hmm. and maybe that is part of it where like well you know some people choose to you know come back as zombies they're like we're going zombie 
And so, you know, maybe that's part of it. And then there's just sort of this like laissez-faire attitude about the zombies all over the place and, and about death in general, which I think is a really interesting aspect of the movie. I find it really interesting that in the scheme of this movie, like the ultimate goal is to not have to work after you're dead. I think that says a lot about society. <laughs> it's like just, I don't know, peak capitalism, right? Like you die and then they slap a collar yeah. on you and put you right back to work, depending on what job you were Absolutely. doing. Like what? Well, you better be useful in your afterlife too. Congratulations. Here's your collar. And it's made worse by the fact that you can clearly have feelings about the job you're being asked to do. It just reminds me of particularly like they've got the uh, the paper boy and they've got the milkman, like that yes. milkman zombie. He just wants to be chucking stuff. He doesn't like the job he's doing, but now he's stuck in it for eternity, right? Like, and if he doesn't like it enough that he's not doing it right, then what, they put him down or take him somewhere else? Because he is just a commodity at that point. So, I mean, like, and they clearly have feelings about their second possible death because you've got uh, Fido having those same concerns too, right? Like, he's worried about whether or not he's going to die in some of those instances. So, I don't know. It's strange. And it does, you just see these people trapped in their situation and that they are zombies and being treated this way is more horrific than anything they do in this film, in my opinion. I agree with that. I think that the ultimately the treatment of the zombies was the, the real horror portion of this for me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do think you kind of have to stop and think about it, though. Like, if you're taking the movie at face value and what the movie is choosing to, like, point out to you, I don't think that that's, like, the main theme. But if you do stop and think about it, there's definitely a lot of, like, tragedy to that idea of being trapped uh, after death like that it's like purgatory like i said earlier that's true the the tone of the movie is to keep it light while dealing with that yeah it also dealt a lot with like the the price of keeping up appearances like i was really struck by the um the scene where the mom you know talks to timmy and timmy's like yeah you know these these bullies like beat the shit out of me and they they pointed a gun at me and she's like Nobody saw you, did they? Like, that just, that sealed the deal for me. Like, okay, humans are definitely the villain in this movie right now. Yeah, and the same, along the same lines, like, when, like, Mr. Bottoms comes over to, like, help Timmy up, uh, he's just, like, I, I forget exactly how it goes, but there he was like, oh, they got mad at me because I said that Zomcom sucks or something like that. And then Mr. Bottoms, like, did you say that? Or so, uh, right? something along those yeah. lines. All right. So let's get into that section of it because so the other part that we've kind of talked about before is possible like metric for whether something is horror is like the social taboo of the things that are being featured in the film. So this film, you've got, we'll, we'll go to the gun side of it. Uh, we live in a country that it has just ridiculous number of school shootings so how did the sequences involving gun education in school and Timmy nearly being shot play to you guys? Was it too real world to be horror? Did it was it comedic? Like how did how did that aspect of things feel? How did that play in the way you saw the movie? For me because this was a very 1950s feel, it it felt to me 
distanced enough to be humorous because I feel that, you know, I mean, as humorous as gun violence can be, it was presented in a lighter and humorous fashion. But it was horrifying when Timmy's dad, like, gifted him a gun with bullets and was like, oh, I know you're not supposed to have these till you're 12. Excuse me, 12? 12? Oh, my God. Pearl Clutch. Oh, and that was just handguns. They had, I mean, he had rifles on his hanging on his bedroom wall. I know. I mean, please understand that when I was 14 years old, I was absolutely shooting air rifle in 4-H, but like a handgun at what, 10? No, no. I feel like this is definitely one of those situations where if they were like going to release this today, people would be like, why would you release this? This is so tone deaf. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. But it, it was kind of like mocking to an extent the sort of gun crazy attitudes maybe in the united states in a definitely that scene in particular was but i don't think you would do that today it was it was ridiculous in the manner that um oh my god i'm gonna misquote this too jojo rabbit is that the correct name of the movie someone help me out throw me a bone yes okay so it had the same level of like super ridiculous over the topness that you could deal with these, you know, hardline issues openly. Is that the right word? I'm not quite sure. With a higher level of comfort, how's that? Made it squishy-ish. That's an interesting comparison. It does it does feel very samey as now that you say that, because you know in that movie they're like handing kids grenades and letting them shoot and do all that stuff. And then I guess adjacent to that topic, too, uh, we've got arguably two of the bigger villains in the movie are his two bullies, and that it's clearly, at least to some degree, depending on their ineptitude, life or death. So when we've got the taboo aspect of, uh, you know, we've they almost kill him in the earlier scene, and then we see them killed later, one of them shot, and one of them implied to have been eaten by Fido. So how did the deaths of children within the film and the violence to them and perpetrated by them contribute to whether or not you saw this as horror? Well, it was no walking dead moment, I will tell you that, because that shook me. But I think that they dealt with the children's death very well. It didn't it it still had an impact, but I was still rooting for Fido. Like, that's the reality of it. So they did a good job. I think it was way too comedic to be as dark as a child's death could be. I think just even up to the end, the way they were bickering with each other and just, I don't know, just the whole tone around death in the movie is really lighthearted for some reason. So when they died, it was kind of just like, nah, whatever, Another, another person's dead. Yeah, it was it was hard to take any death real seriously because just that's how all the characters felt about death or acted about death. At least, I don't know. You have a lot of deaths happening, and most of their most of the time they're just like, oh, whatever. And even like when they're going into Zomcom to rescue Fido, like Mister Theopolis's distraction is to turn a zombie's collar off and get some people killed. You know, right. I don't know. Even the first death that we see in the movie of Mrs. Henderson, Timmy's just like, 
Fido. Oh, that was great. I love a murder in silhouette. It's so noir. It's <laughs> like, Fido, that kills people. Bad <laughs> do boy. That. that darn zombie shucks. Well, it kind of reminded me a little bit of when we talked about gremlins, right? Like, you can downplay the horror if you have everybody who ends up getting killed. Either they're so dehumanized that you haven't really had any interaction with them, so they don't matter. Or you've had enough interaction with them that they're a villain, so you kind of don't care when they get what you feel like the movies portrayed as coming to them. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, this, for me, since I'm the only one voting horror so far, this is absolutely horror comedy, and there are so many things that do not apply to horror comedy that I apply to other horror genres or subgenres. This gets a lot of leeway. That's why it's, it, it's horror. Sorry. No apologies necessary. Yeah, I think there's definitely that case for it. I think the reason why, I, I mean, it's on the line for me, but the reason why I just tip towards not horror is I think this movie, at least for me, it misses the like kind of uh, stomach drop moment that a lot that I guess for me, like is needed in a horror movie. I guess like thinking about our other zombie movies, like I called Zombieland not horror because I didn't feel one of the reasons being because I didn't feel like it had that, but Shaun of the Dead, I did call horror because I did feel like it had that because of some of the like more serious scenes and because of like, you know, he has to shoot his mom and his roommate gets torn apart or the girlfriend's roommate gets torn apart or whatever. So I guess this movie is missing that, that stomach drop moment for me. Yeah, I think for me... The reason I'm still saying it's not horror is kind of goes back to the conversation earlier about tension. I think the tension between like Timmy and Fido or Fido and any of the other characters gets dropped pretty early in the movie. I mean, right after Mrs. Henderson dies, we see that we see like Fido and Timmy interact. And then we find out that even without the collar on, Fido will not kill Timmy. So after that, there's kind of no tension about Timmy dying at Fido's hands. And after that, all the tension comes from, oh, are the bullies going to shoot Timmy? Or, oh, is are the zombies going to kill Timmy at Rom, Rom, ZomCon, whatever? The, the wild zombies? It's never about Fido turning on them anymore. So I think that tension's gone. And to me, that just makes it more of like a, boy and his dog movie especially when they take the dog away it's like old yeller but in reverse <laughs> yeah <laughs> so okay i do have this is not necessarily a is it horror question but more of a logistics in the world question and i'm curious to see what you guys thought about it initially i was thinking about the collars that the zombies have and that they keep them from being hungry for flesh but at the end, Fido obviously wants to protect Timmy by, you know, attacking Mr. Bottoms. I, I, you would think that he would want to, but he's not able to until Timmy busts the collar and then he can come after him. So is it he could have attacked Mr. Bottoms without without uh, necessarily eating him? So I guess the question is, does the collar 
keep them from being hungry or does it stop them from being able to engage in any violent impulse that they would want to even if even if maybe there's a good reason to do so so what kind of restriction i guess is happening with the collar and that's my question i because at least for me in thinking about it it feels like it's got to restrict any sort of malicious intention I think the collar is a scientific stepping stone because I believe if I'm recalling, correct me, for, forgive me here, Mr. Thermopolis, is that his name? He mentions something about um, Mr. Geiger, Dr. Geiger, who um, discovered the collar, invented the collar. And Mr. Thermopolis says, yeah, I think that he had the hope that he was going to like bring the human fully back, like bring the person fully back and reanimate them. So I think the collar is a stepping stone in zombie evolution further down the line. I would be willing to pay to see a sequel, but honestly, I want to see Tammy eat Mr. Thermopolis. I'm not signing on to this unless that happens. (laughs) It needs to be Fido 2, Tammy's teeth. I'm ready for it. (laughs) Well, I, yeah, I can see what you're saying too, because maybe the idea is that it's, basically puts in some sort of stasis the zombie virus and i don't know maybe that's the idea it's like nicorette but for cannibalism (laughs) so i was gonna say another movie that we've watched during this zombie week is uh the girl with all the gifts and not to spoil that movie to an extent but i kind of take it as the same sort of premise as that movie where there is a kind of true state of mind of the zombies and then the collar is sort of focusing them and removing that one aspect of them that makes them violent and same kind of thing in girl with all the gifts is that there's this not to spoil it too much but there's a since it's tomorrow's movie there's the fungus that is affecting them and causing them to be hungry Uh, for human flesh but otherwise they're capable of thought and empathy and feeling Uh, so i kind of took it as the same way as that movie so what if you put the zomcom collar on a human i wonder what do you think that would do again it doesn't affect whether it's horror or not i'm just curious what people's thoughts are probably just sedate them Hmm, it's like electrical thorazine Maybe it would make Timmy's dad a good father. <laughs> no, honey, nothing cures that dumbassery, that's for sure. <laughs> Seriously, when your wife is, like, eyeing up a zombie as opposed to you, like, the problem is definitely you, bro. I'd hate to break it to you. <laughs> that's a big L. Yeah, and when your wife is, like, wearing hot little 50s pinup housewife dresses every day, come on. Forget about it. Seriously, step up your game. Step it up, or else I will. (laughs) (laughs) Timmy's mom is the true hero of this movie, I have to say. She had the best character arc. I really love when she was like, she disposed of the bodies. She burned the fucking shack down. Her little cardigan was perfect. She put her arm around her son and said, I really hope that you know that this isn't how normal people act. I'm like, yes, mother of the year, and your hair is perfect. And also, get your own beer, Bill. Yes. Love that. That was the yes. ultimate level of get your own beer, Bill. 
There was definitely, if that scene lasted a little longer, it was going to move to like a swingers kind of place. Like that's where Bottoms was going with that, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it would have been in the two women and they would have left the men in the dust. That's the truth. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like the scene where uh, Theopolis is like, quote unquote, saving her from the zombies and just misses a bunch of times. And then later she's got her little revolver and like hits three perfect headshots downs the kid with her car and then burns the place down like not a thought like theopolis did not have to help her she was not in need of being of help (laughs) that's true yeah she nailed those headshots later in saving timmy she had a really interesting story arc too because i felt like she kind of started out as a pretty hollow like bought into the idea of this society uh, but she evolved a lot over the movie, which I really liked seeing. Yeah, she had awesome character development. Me and Matt watched this together, and one of the moments we left at with her at the beginning was when she was like, they're going to think that we're our family is weird, and they're going to be right. And she was like having a mental breakdown. <laughs> By the end, yeah. she's just shooting people. It's nothing. Right. Another aspect of this film that I think is kind of unique as far as zombie films go is that uh, often zombies are pretty tied to the zombie apocalypse, but uh, Fido offers kind of a unique post-post-apocalypse. So I guess it's kind of curious to see what you guys all thought. How does having the zombie threat already largely being defeated by humanity affect the film's horror status? Again, I think it just flips the the villain protagonist thing on its head. You know, it just, it makes me more on the zombie side since they've already been quote unquote controlled or conformed, whatever. I don't know. I've rooted for the zombies the whole way through. Shock, surprise. I would like to kind of touch on how this sort of does mimic a lot of the traditional zombie tropes that happen uh, even though it's more of a post-apocalyptic look at the society after zombies because you don't get that a lot of times where it's way after the zombie apocalypse happened and now people are living their lives again but you get a lot of that those classic situations Romero-esque where you see a bunch of zombies piling on somebody and ripping out intestines and and throats and stuff like that i don't think we really talked too much about gore and how gore played a role in this movie but i think there were a lot of things that were almost like shot for shot gore wise from like night of the living dead or or day of the or not the original dead trilogy even in the opening sequences i think they maybe had like some look-alike actors or similar shots of to like night of the living dead So uh, it definitely followed really closely a lot of those zombie tropes that are heavily accepted as being horror. So I want to add that in. Yeah, this movie could easily have been Night of the Living Dead 2, because Night of the Living Dead is public domain because of an error while they were creating the film they forgot to use the title card that had the trademark after the name of the film so as soon as it aired it was immediately in public domain so that meant that the cast and crew weren't 
really able to recoup all the money that they should have been able to from its existence. Anyway, that leaves leaves the door open where they easily could have made this Night of the Living Dead 2 and it would have worked, right? Because even in Night of the Living Dead, they talk about the idea of some radiation on a Venus probe. Now, they never confirm if that's what causes the zombie apocalypse, but there's at least the implication that that's a possible source. And this movie more or less runs with that same idea, not necessarily mentioning the probe by name, but space radiation for sure. And clearly they got that from Night of the Living Dead. So yeah, it's definitely referencing that very hard. And like I said, almost functioning as a sequel. Yeah, it could could have very easily been directed by George Romero. However, it probably would have been more like his most latest entries in the dead series. Uh, so imagine this movie, but if it was comedic, but by accident <laughs> and he still meant it to be allegorical, but without any of the comedy, <laughs> which is the other thing that brings me back to the whole like civil rights analogy. I don't know how you walk away being inspired by three Romero zombie movies with night day and dawn and seeing you know, black protagonists of all of those films and the clear civil rights implications of Night of the Living Dead with Ben basically being lynched at the end and having to ask yourself, would he have survived if he was a white person? And then you make your movie that functions so closely within that universe. And again, don't include a single black person in it. Sorry, not to like soapbox it. I just find it really weird. And it's one of those things I'd never noticed about the movie before, but now I can't not notice. Yeah, very true. If anything, the thing that sets it apart from the Romero movies is the lack of diversity. (laughs) But anyway, you did mention the gore aspect, and I did want to go around on that. I guess, what did you guys think on that aspect of it? A lot of us said not horror, but there's still those zombie moments. So what did you think about the gore aspect of things? I could have used a little more, but I thought that it was presented in a really great way. I really adore the the murder silhouette vignettes, and it was it was a little bit campy, but still believable. It's still horror for me. Oh my god, you guys are not convincing me. Please convince me. Do it. I feel like I'm wrong. But there's no wrong answers. I'm not going to help in saying that I think that it was you know just as gory and had just the same exact amount of uh, zombie gore scenes as many of your classic zombie movies. I really didn't see much of a difference in gore in that way between this movie and zombie movies that are absolutely considered horror. So yeah, I think the gore is definitely in the horror zone. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's there, but I feel like it's downplayed. Um, this might be from me watching lots of horror movies and seeing lots of gory things and I could probably bring in somebody who doesn't watch them at all and they'd say like that's a gory movie so I guess at least part of it is you know your mileage may vary for me I feel like the gore was something that was a part of what you have to do because it's a zombie film but that they tried their best to mute it wherever possible and that at least led into me feeling like they weren't really going for horror as a tone, and that was at least coming across to me as a viewer. What is the uh, rating of this movie? I can't find it. Does anybody know offhand? I'll find it real quick. I'm going to guess PG-13, but... Yeah, I was going to say PG or PG-13. I didn't think... I mean, I heard no F-bombs, right? Oh, it was rated R. Yeah, I guess it was rated R. It was rated R? 
Whoa. I'm very impressed. Do you think that was because of the gore? I have a or a little bit here that says, um, and I have I haven't researched this fully. Obviously, I've just pulled it up. Said PG thirteen by the MPAA, but then re-rated R for sequences of zombie violence, gore, and comedic horror situations. Hmm. Random shift without a clutch. Does anyone think that a restricted rating directly correlates with horror? Like, does that have any bearing on a movie's classification? Because for me, it, it sometimes does. Yeah. I- I honestly think so, because I was going to say, well, the reason I asked this question was because I was going to say, well, to me, this seems like a movie I would sit down and watch with my teenage children. (laughs) But now... I mean, choices, whatever. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not a parent. I was going to use that as a reason, like, I don't have teenage children, it's theoretical, but (laughs) like, you know, it seems like a family fun film. And therefore, it's not horror. But now I'm rethinking my stance on that. <laughs> um, Coraline, just pointing that out. True. But that's marketed as a kid's movie. I know, because kids' horror, like um, like comedy horror or horror comedy, they don't apply to the rules. Like, they are gonzo, gonzo horror, for sure. This is kind of interesting. It's something I never noticed is IMDb has, like, an exact breakdown of all the elements that make a film get the rating that it has. So there's like a specific rating of every scene uh, and why it added to the rating. So there's like a boy who was killed off screen by a zombie soon after accidentally shoots his brother who soon becomes a zombie. The first boy also becomes a zombie and is then shown being hit by a car. So like these things kind of read in this uh, very like basic format here do kind of give you the impression, oh, this is like, there's some definitely gore graphic kind of things happening. (laughs) Oh, I see what you're looking at. I agree with Steve's theory uh, that taboo has to be a part of horror. And I feel like the more taboo there is, the more restricted the movie is, generally speaking. So that's why that's why I mentioned it. I will point out that the rating explanation on IMDb isn't anything official. It's crowdsourced, so it's people's summation of why they think it had the rating, but it's not the MPAA's official statement on the film by any means. Oh, gotcha. Sneaky, sneaky. True, I did notice there were some, like, not official-looking things written there. (laughs) But yeah, like, I feel that there's more gore in this maybe than like Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead. So I don't think it's lacking in gore in any way that it would be taken away from being horror. And I I do agree that you're right. I think that there's more gore in this. And of course, as far as a direct one-to-one comparison, the big difference, of course, is the tone because there's a prevailing feeling of hopelessness, increasing hopelessness for our characters throughout that film. Whereas this one, I would say, at least for me, the overall tone is very light. Like it wants to keep everything pretty light, which is, of course, yes, true with horror films, but I think with horror comedy films rather. But what you also get in horror comedy that doesn't happen in this one is the tension roller coaster because usually you ramp up the tension towards, uh, you know, some sort of concern for your characters and then you bring it back off. You hit the release valve and then you, you know, ride that roller coaster up and down. 
But this film, I think, keeps a pretty even keel throughout the whole thing, keeping everything light for the most part. Like, does it delve into those dark horror tropes? Does it hit some of that juxtaposition of those visuals? It does do that, but it never rides the tension roller coaster that you see in other horror comedies. Like comparing this, for instance, to, say, Shaun of the Dead or Evil Dead 2 or things like that. It, it's not really trying for those highs in tension. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. If we're looking at Shaun of the Dead and calling it like 60% comedy, 40% horror, I think this one would probably be more on like 80 to 90% comedy and 10 to 20% horror. So yeah, I feel like it's definitely less horror than Shaun of the Dead if we're comparing it that way. But I do still feel like it falls into horror comedy because of all the other tone and trope and supernatural and monsters and gore. Just my opinion. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong if they look at it as horror. If it is horror, it's definitely horror comedy. No question there, at least in my mind. The other thing that kind of came to mind with this film is that it being this kind of post-post-zombie apocalypse also means that we have characters that have kind of room to breathe, and this sort of reveals that we have characters dealing with PTSD from different levels from the zombie wars. And so I was kind of curious on everyone's take, does this sort of psychological character dissection lend to or away from the horror feeling of the film? And I'm particularly thinking of at least two characters that are dealing a little bit more actively with PTSD. Obviously, Timmy's father is dealing with uh, just the horror of having to kill his own father, and we're never getting into a lot of detail on exactly how that went down. But then also, um, Mr. Bottoms, like the security officer there for Zomcom, because he clearly has organized his life, his existence to not have to care about anyone because of it. And you can, I feel like personally, at least envision a scenario where, you know, he had to kill someone that he cared about early on and decided it wasn't worth caring about anybody. So like he has business arrangements, but no one that he actually has any real feelings from. And that's the way he's chosen to kind of like bottle it up. So I don't know, I guess what's everyone's take on that? I think it's a really interesting thing that this movie does is because it's because of that, like you get some, you get some of those analysis of these characters and like just the society that they've chosen to live in. And I think that's one of the things for me that takes away from the horror is like nobody's scared of death. It doesn't feel that way. Anybody at least because everybody's like more concerned about, oh, do I fit in with the society? Oh, you know, what happened to my pet zombie dog, dog zombie thing? You know, what, you know, what are the neighbors thinking? You know, does my girlfriend zombie look good? Nobody's really cared about actually dying. And I think that probably comes from this being a post post-apocalyptic society where just probably everybody has dealt with death so much that it's just they're desensitized to it and just deal with it in in a very uh just like offhanded and offhanded way and that seems to be like you said steve like very much how mr bottoms handles it is just like 
death is just a thing and there's no reason to get attached to anybody. I don't know. It makes a lot of sense, I guess, thinking about it in that context. I think it also spoke a lot. Okay, I'm probably reading too deeply into this, but I think that those scenarios spoke a lot to society's ideal of what masculine presenting individuals are supposed to disclose emotionally. It, for example, so Mr. Bottom's whole take on things was, oh, you just, you don't get too close to people and I would shoot Dee Dee in the head in a second. Like, he keeps this constant wall up and that's how he deals with his trauma. And Timmy's dad deals with it by just not fucking dealing with it and having a meltdown every time he's triggered. And I think it it says a lot about what fragile toxic masculinity can be. And it sort of opens the door to, you know, Fido's character who's just like, I'm enjoying life. I'm being present. I'm clearly communicating in my, you know, grunts or whatever. It just, I don't know. It was kind of farcical and, and somehow very, very real to me in terms of how society expects folks to communicate based on their gender. It's true that I feel like, I mean, you can make an argument for Carrie Ann Moss's character, I suppose, but the female characters that you meet in the film all feel a bit more well-balanced than the male characters in the film. And that's, you know, Carrie Ann Moss's character, uh, Mrs. Bottoms, that's, I forget the name of the little girl that lives next door, but just they seem a little bit more at ease with the world, more copacetic with the world they're living in than the men characters in this film. I think they're very resigned to the reality that they're working with. Like, they are definitely working with what they got. And they're just like, yep, we're doing the best we can. Keep doing the best we can. Meanwhile, everyone else is having a fucking meltdown. Any other thoughts? That's kind of what I had in the way of questions about the film. No, I, I, think, I think I'm good. I think... I've come to the, the conclusion that I think that this is horror comedy, but I do think it's much lighter on the horror than some of the other horror comedies we've looked at. But I do still think it's horror comedy. Anybody else changing their votes on this film? No, darling, I'm an oak. <laughs> Final answer. It's on the line for me, but I'd still say not horror, I guess, but I... I can't blame anybody for calling it horror. Yeah, same. I will say I've thought of this movie as a horror film for years before doing this episode. I hadn't even entered my mind while we've been doing this show to think about this one as whether it was or wasn't. So it's always one I've thought of as horror. But I guess really on the fence about it, even during the course of talking about it, I know I've made a lot of arguments the other direction, but I think that I would be willing to call it horror comedy at the end of the day. I think it's it's just so close. It's just so close on the fence, and maybe there's just enough to tip me over to the other side of it. Because even my not horror was like, I'm still like at the fence looking through the hole to see what's on the other side. So, Can I also just tell you that the first time that I saw this movie, I rented it on DVD from a freaking blockbuster when those things still existed. And I had no idea until I watched it the second time that Fido's fucking Billy Connolly. Right. It never occurred to me. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How did I not know this? I just I enjoyed the film like 20 times more once I found that out. 
Because I just kept waiting and be like, ugh, fuck, like something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, too, because the my first introduction to Billy Conley was watching. There's a TV show called Head of the Class, and he was the replacement teacher on that show. So that was still it was like a family sitcom. So he's still pretty sanitized there. But like watching some of his comedy stuff after that and then watching this is kind of funny to think that that's him and to see him without a beard honestly which is also weird yeah yeah the the bald chin really threw me but man as far as physical acting goes this was delightful for me i just i really really enjoyed all of the characters yeah this is the first time i realized that you saying it i had no idea it's a total mindfuck is it not He's the Boondock Saints' dad. And I know! Yeah, he is. <laughs> I keep waiting for him to witch- whip out some bleach water from his trench coat. Oh. Boondock Saints, is it horror? <laughs> oh, hard no. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, it's that. That's a 15-minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, all right. Guess that's that. Well, there's the episode. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode of Visit Horror. So for those keeping track at home, the next week of the first annual Visit Horror Movie Marathon is going to be Mitt's Musical Massacre Week. So it's all musical horror. Yay! Yay! I'm going to dress up for this. And that seems probably wise, something that you probably should do, because we're going to be talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show. That is going to be our next episode next Friday, so catch us back here then. Uh, In the meantime, I have been Steve. And I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And I'm Mitz. Bye. 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 That's zombie for goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes, or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?